Generosity. What is it? Is it when you give money to those in need? Donate your clothes to the Salvation Army? When you give to the church? Or can it be smaller? Simpler? Like taking the kids to see their grandparents two hours away, just because. Or volunteering to make a meal for the new parents. Or comforting that girl crying in the coffee shop. Or taking out the trash, cleaning the dishes, and folding the laundry before you're asked. Where does generosity come from? From what does it overflow? Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church, man. We're excited to have you here this morning. Whether you're joining us from Webster, Greece, or Anacoid, or Henrietta, or you're with us online, thanks for being here. If you're a guest visiting, want to send a special welcome to you. We're honored to have you because I know what it takes to, to come to a church where maybe you're not familiar with. So thank you for being here and taking some time out of your weekend to spend it at Northridge Church, you know, all of us kind of know this at this point. We just talked about it is Easter is right around the corner and it's a huge weekend in the life of our church. And so I just want to remind you again and challenge you to live Pi Square during this week that you just would pray that God would bring people in your path, that you'd have opportunities to in, invest in those relationships in your office and in, in your classroom and wherever God leads you and ultimately to make that big ask of inviting people. Hey, would you check out our church? You might not know this, but 86% of all the first-time guests that come to Northridge Church come because someone was bold enough to say, hey, would you check this out with me? And so I just want to challenge you. In Easter, people are actually open to coming. And so it's, it's an easier ask. So this week, challenge you to, to live out Pi Squared and inviting people to our Easter services. Well, last week, Aaron Hickson, he launched us into this new series called Overflow, where we're talking about that word generosity. And I know when you hear that word in, in, in church, we get, a little bit of we get a little tense. We get a little bit scared. We, we think in our minds, okay, church is talking about generosity. What do they want from me? Like how much? What are we doing? Are we launching another campus? Are we building a building? Like what's going on? When's the moment we're going to build up, talk about generosity, and then ask everybody to be generous? And that's not what we're doing in this series. In fact, throughout this series, we want to give you an opportunity to, to feel what generosity is like. And it started last week when we wanted to be generous as a church to men and women who have sacrificed a lot for our community and our country. And we gave over 98 gifts to men and women who are veterans who serve in our military currently or our first responders, police officers, firefighters, and EMTs. And if that's you uh, today and you missed out on last week, I want to encourage you. We still have gifts for you. We would love to honor you and thank you for all that you've done. All you got to do is go to our information centers at all of our campuses, and we have a gift. We have a couple movie tickets for you. We have a gift card and a box of candy. We just want to say thank you for your generosity. And so Aaron started this series last week, and he talked about where generosity comes from. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we understand that generosity is this overflow of our heart. It's what God is doing in our heart. And as we continue this conversation today, we're going to take that next step and talk about how do we practically become generous. Because I believe this. I believe a lot of people, they, in their hearts, they desire to be generous. They just don't know how to get there. 
And so as we continue the conversation, I kind of want to start by defining what generosity really is. Because I think a lot of us, we, we might even believe that we're a, a generous person based on something we've done, an act, a time where we were generous and we sacrificed a whole lot, this one-time moment in our life where we gave a lot of our time away or we gave some money away and we bank on that one moment in our life or those couple moments in our life where we were generous. But I want us to understand something up front about generosity is generosity is not found in a one time or a couple acts. Generosity defined is a lifestyle of selflessness. That's what generosity is. It's this lifestyle. It's us every single day, 365 days in a year. It's us looking and seeing and putting other, others' needs and others' wants and others' desires in front of our own. And that's why generosity is hard because naturally we tend to be selfish. I mean, no one's got to teach you to be selfish, it just kind of comes naturally for all of us. And generosity is that opposite. It's when you begin through life, through the lens of your own eyes, you live in this posture, this lifestyle, this attitude of putting others' needs before yourself. And that's hard. I mean, it's hard. I don't care who you are or how much money you have or how much time you have. That is hard to put somebody else in front of you. And here's the problem. Generosity is hard and it makes us cringe. And I believe this. Most people miss out on the joy that generosity provides because we don't ever get to experience it because we're so busy holding on to what is ours and thinking about ourselves that we never get to really experience the true life-giving joy of what it means to be generous. In fact, in this series, we are really just promoting this truth in Acts chapter 20, 35. It's kind of the tagline for this, this series. It's a truth that I, I wonder if we believe. It says this. It says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Let me read that one more time for you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, my question for you this morning is, do you believe that? I mean, it's easy to read God's word and say, amen, yes, but do I believe it in the way I live? Because we live in a culture that says what you accumulate will make you happy. We live in a culture, and I think we've bought into this lie that, hey, we just believe that if, if I get that next thing, if I get that addition on my house or that renovation, if, if, I, if I get that car I've always wanted, if I get that promotion or I get that level of status, I'll be happy. That's where joy comes from. Joy comes from getting and accumulating. That's what our culture says. And I think we believe it sometimes. I think I believe it sometimes. But that's backwards, actually, from what God's word says. God's word says, hey, it's more blessed. It's more joyful to actually give than to get. And I'm not sure we believe that by the way we live. Most of us are following culture instead of what God's word says. And there was a guy in scripture who kind of lived this out so we can look at his example. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to provide one for you. It's going to be on page 800 in one of the Northridge Bibles. You can follow along in the Northridge app. It'll take you like 30 seconds to download. You can take notes. You can follow along on the screens as well or take notes in your program. The story, Matthew chapter 19, we pick it up in verse 16. It starts here. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, 
Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. And so let's set the scene of the story. This is a story in scripture and Jesus is approached by a man. And in the passage we just read, he was just called a man. But if you go to the other gospels, he's actually referred to as a rich young ruler. And so who is this man? We know three things about this guy. The first one we know is he was wealthy. He had a lot of money. In this culture, he probably had gold and silver. He probably had a couple homes, and he probably had a herd of cattle. That's what it meant. That's what it looked like in this culture to be wealthy, to be rich. So we know he was wealthy. He was rich. The second thing we know is he was young. He was probably around the age of 16 to 29, because we all know once you cross that threshold from 29 to 30, you can no longer be called young anymore. I'm still dealing with it, okay? Just, just I'm trying to let it go. But he's, he's around that age. We don't know exactly how young he was, but we can kind of just assume anywhere from 16 to 29. The third thing we know about this man is he was called a ruler. Now, what does that mean? Was he some form of politician in the Roman Empire? Like, what kind of ruler was he? But as you follow along in the text, we can kind of make some conclusions that he was probably a religious ruler because of his knowledge of the Mosaic law. And so he was a ruler. He's probably a Pharisee. He knew God's word. He knew the Mosaic law inside and out. And so this is the man that approaches Jesus, a wealthy, young Pharisee. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, what good thing must I do to get to heaven, to achieve eternal life? And so he looks at Jesus and he asks this question. He almost defines the pathway to heaven. And I find this so amazing is here is this man looking at Jesus, the pathway to heaven. Remember what the Bible says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so this ruler this guy who knows the Mosaic law is looking at the pathway to heaven and he's trying to define it for Jesus because he says, hey, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? And I think a lot, a lot of us, we can relate to this young man because we believe that. In order to get to heaven, I've got to live a good life. There must be something that I can do on my own accord. I can live a life good enough to achieve heaven. And we believe that. Jesus looks at him, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And Jesus is just saying, hey, no one is perfect. There's only one who is perfect, that's God. So we're all flawed individuals. He's reminding them of that truth. But Jesus plays his game. I love this about Jesus. He kind of plays into his question. He says this in verse 18. He says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And so Jesus responds to him. And there's one thing I want to make clear right up front. It almost sounds as Jesus is saying, you can earn your way to heaven. Because Jesus says, hey, keep the commandments. And he gives this list. It wasn't an exhaustive list, but it was just a couple examples of the commandments. But Jesus is no way and no right saying, hey, if you do these things, you'll get to heaven. What he's doing is he's setting this young man up to show him his condition. And so Jesus looks at him and says, keep the commands. And he gives a list of a couple commands. And this ruler looks at 
him and, and he says, well, I've done that. I've kept these commands. And when I first read this, I thought, man, what a liar. Man, there's Jesus. Like, you don't lie in front of Jesus. Like, what are you thinking, dude? But I don't think he was lying. I really don't. This guy was a Pharisee. His job was to know the law and abide in it. I mean, that's what he was supposed to do. And when he looks at Jesus and he says, I've kept these, I don't think he's lying. I think he's telling the truth. He's lived a good moral life. He's followed the law, but check this out. Before Jesus says anything, he realizes something. Man, I've lived, according to the world's standard, a really good life, and yet I still lack something. And I'm telling you today, maybe you're here and you're trying to live the best life you can because you want God to honor you for it by giving you entrance into heaven. And the Bible says all your good deeds are like filthy rags because you can try, you can go for it, man. You can live the best life. You can, be, you can live according to the moral code as good as it can get and it still will fall short when it comes to getting into heaven. Because Jesus says the only way you get to me is through a relationship with me. And some of you, you're banking on your good deeds, your good actions to walk you into the presence of God. And the only person who can get you there is Jesus. Is Jesus. And he realizes this. He says, he asks this question, what do I lack? And so Jesus was like, okay, well, let me tell you. Verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, now don't hang up on the word perfect. That just simply means righteous in God's eyes. We know we're made righteous through Jesus. And so he says, if you want to be made perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And right here's the moment where Jesus gets at this man's heart. You see, he, everything he's done to this point has been a setup for this moment where this young man says, what do I lack? And Jesus says, okay, if you want to get into heaven, again, it seems like Jesus is saying you can do something to get into heaven. But again, he's getting at his heart. He says, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And here's what Jesus was saying to this young man. There is something in your life that you love more than me. There is something in your heart that is way more valuable than knowing the God of the universe. And Jesus, right in this moment, gets at this man's heart because look what he says. He says, hey, if you sell your possessions and you give them to the poor, he says these words, and I think these are really strategic words. These are intentional words that Jesus used. He says, then you will have treasure in heaven. That word treasure, Jesus talked about it earlier in Matthew. We actually talked about that verse last week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Look what it says. It says, where your treasure is. The exact same Greek word used. The exact same word. It wasn't an accident that Jesus used this exact word because what he was saying to this young man is, your heart treasures something way more than it does me. You love something. You have an idol in your life that is blocking you from me, and it's all that you've accumulated. And so this man walks away from the richest treasure the world has to offer because of all that he had. And I, I really believe this. I think we can learn from this story because I know in my life I've fallen into the same trap as this man. 
throughout my life. I've, 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 I've forgotten some principles that God has taught me that help me live generously. And I want to walk you through two of them because I think this rich young ruler forgot really two really important things. And I think we find ourselves guilty of this too. The first one is so simple. It's this. God has given you everything that you have. Now, I know that's elementary, right? If you grew up in church at all, this is something that your parents told you. You learned in Sunday school. You're all like, what's Sunday school? But it's something that is so simple. But yet I think we forget it. Because I think we like to, our pride likes to say, hey, I've achieved something. I, I, I've gotten this myself. And we, we, we just fail to remember that, you know, the car you drive, the bed you sleep in, the food you're going to eat this afternoon, the money in your bank account, it's all a gift from God. It is all from God. It's on loan, basically. God has loaned it to you. He's allowed you to have it. And I think sometimes we go through life and we just forget that simple but yet profound truth that all that I have is from God. This is what the Bible says. James chapter 1, verse 17. It says every. Can we just all say every? Every. Every. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so why is this important? Why is it important that I know that everything I have is from God? Because until you really, truly understand that, I don't think you can be generous. And that's a pretty profound statement, but I, 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 I believe this. Until you realize that what you have, everything that you have is from God, until you realize that you can't live generously. Because when you understand what you have is from God, it, it, it puts your heart and it puts your mind and it puts your body into a posture of open hands. You see what I mean? Let me explain. Because when you realize, hey, God has given me the car I drive and God has given me the house I live in. And, and when you realize that, you, when he asks you to give it up, when he asks you to surrender something, you just recognize like, hey, God, you gave this to me and I have no problem giving it up because it's yours. It's not mine. And that, that, when you understand that truth, it puts your whole body and your whole life in a different and complete posture. A posture where you're like, ah, God, thank you so much for what you've given me. And at any point when you ask for it, it's yours. I think the second thing this rich young, rich young ruler failed to realize was this. The biggest competition for our hearts is what's in our hands. The biggest competition for our hearts, what we love and what we value, is found in our hands, what we've accumulated. And we see this played out at the end of the story. This rich young ruler walked away from Jesus. He walked away from heaven. Why? Because of all that he had. He wasn't willing to surrender it. He wasn't willing to give it up. He loved all that he had accumulated. He held it on to it. And he said, this is mine and I'm not ready to give it up. And I'm afraid today that one of the greatest things, one of the biggest stumbling blocks from people truly committing and being all in to following Jesus is we are afraid of something. We are afraid that at some point in our life, if we truly commit to God and we truly follow God, that he will ask us to give up the things we love the most. And I'm not sure we're ready to do that because the greatest competition for your heart is usually what's in your hands, what you have. God, I've achieved this. This is mine, and I'm going to hold on to it as tight as I can, and don't you dare ask me to give this up. 
And I think sometimes God's like, I gave that to you. I gave that to you. And here this young man was walking away from eternity in heaven because of what he had on earth. And I really think I can relate to this guy because I fall into the same trap. But the question is, how do I live differently? How do I get to a place in life where I become a generous person? Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of us, we want to be generous people. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, man, I want to be stingy today. I want to hold back everything. I don't want to give to anybody. I think we want to be generous. I just don't think we know how to get there. Like, how do I become practically a generous person? And here's where I think it starts. And I think it starts in a place that you wouldn't guess would come from today. I think it starts in a place that we often overlook. And I think it starts right here when we embrace gratitude. When we embrace gratitude, and I know gratitude is kind of like this antiquated word. It's this, it's this word that we don't use in our culture today, but here's what it simply means. The quality of being thankful or a readiness to show appreciation for. You see, a lot of us would think generosity starts by giving stuff away, by writing a check or by sacrificing time or, or a talent. But I believe generosity gets to, it, it starts in your heart when you get to a place in life where you look at what you have and you're thankful for it. When you get to a place in life where you're not desiring more, you're actually looking up at God and saying, wow, thank you for everything that I have. Do you realize as parents, you can model this for your kids even when they're little? Because I remember when I was a little boy, my dad modeling this for me, and he didn't do it in any spectacular way. He did it in really one of the most simple ways. Every time my father prayed, he didn't start with, hey, God, I need this from you. Hey, God, this is what my heart desires from you. He started with, God, thank you. And it wasn't like generic. It wasn't like, God, thank you so much for all that you give us, and let's move on to the more important things. No, at dinner, when we ate spaghetti, my dad would say, hey, God, thank you for the spaghetti that's right in our plates. He would say, God, thanks for the gas that's in our cars that get us to work. And he would be specific and as a little boy, I remember my dad being thankful for all that God has given him. And he reminded us over and over again, hey guys, what we have, God can take any day. But right now we'll be thankful that we have it. This is what the Bible says. First Thessalonians 5, 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. So that means whether you're rich or poor, you have a lot or, or not. Doesn't matter how, how much you've accumulated or how much you have in life, you can be thankful. And look at this line, it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of us right now are searching for God's will in our life? What college to go to? What job we should take? If should we should stay or if should we, we should go? And God's like, hey, I just called you to be thankful. That's my will for your life. Be thankful. And God really slapped this inside of my head just two weeks ago. My wife and I were getting ready to finalize an adoption. In about six to 10 weeks, we are traveling to China to pick up our baby boy. And so we started getting some information, more and more information about our son. And we got the information of what orphanage he was staying at. And they sent us a picture of where my son would stay at night. And it was this room. It probably had around 50 to 75 cribs. They looked kind of like cages. They were these metal cribs. And, you know, when we lay our, our kids down at night, we have two little girls right now. When we lay them in their cribs, they, they sit on this soft, comfortable mattress. But my son, from the day he was born, he's just known to sleep on a piece of plywood because that's what was in his crib. And it broke my heart, not because 
you know, he needs a soft mattress. That's not going to change his life. But it hit me because there's times in my life when I wake up with a sore neck or a sore back, and I'm like, man, I need a new mattress. And not realizing what I have and not being thankful for what God has given me. And I think generosity starts right there. Where you realize, man, wow, God has given me so much. And I have so much to be thankful for. And that leads your heart to a place where you start small. The second step is just to start small. We think generosity has to be this ginormous thing. Like I gotta write a big check or I gotta sacrifice a whole lot of time or I gotta give something big because generosity is never small. And, and I think we, we fall into that trap. Why not start small? Why not start in the insignificant or seemingly insignificant acts? Do you know it's generous to just hug somebody and smile at them and tell them you love them? Do you know it's generous to buy somebody a cup of coffee and actually sit down and talk and listen to them? Like these are things that we would never label as generosity because we think generosity only has to do with money, right? Like you're not generous unless you give a lot of money. And that's not true. Generosity is, is an amazing thing. It's, sometimes it's just tipping your waitress a little more because she did a good job. Being generous, not stingy. Do you want to know what I think is one of the most powerful acts of generosity? And it seems small, but yet it's so powerful. It's actually just praying for people. One of the most powerful acts of generosity is you can get your mind off all the bad things in your life and start praying for some people who actually is really struggling in life. The most generous things is just to fight on somebody's behalf and not your own. To think about somebody else's needs other than yours. So we start with gratitude. We, we start with small acts of generosity. And then it leads us to a place where we budget for it. We budget for generosity. We have a plan. We have a strategy for it. Man, I'll just be honest. Some of you, you want to be generous, but the only reason you can't be generous is because you don't even have a budget in your own home. And your finances are, are out of whack. 80% of Americans live with massive debt. They spend more money than they actually make. And we wonder why we can't live generously. Maybe your first step is simply to get control of your finances, to take financial peace, to meet with a financial advisor and say, I need help controlling my finances so I can be generous. But then we get to a place where we budget for it. We plan for it. We strategize. We do this in my family. And, and I'll tell you how we do it in my family. This doesn't mean it has to be like this for you. This is not the perfect way. This is not the right way. But we budget for it. In my household, we do it with two separate accounts. The first one is, is something that just always happens. Every single year, I sit down with my wife, and we set aside 10 to 20% of my annual income, and we give it back to the church. That's what we do. That's not, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying that's what my family does. We set aside a portion of my income, and we give it to the church because I believe Christ died for the church, and I see God using Northridge Church in an amazing way, and I believe it's worth my investment. I mean, just two weekends ago, we saw 120 people go public with, with, oh, through open baptism saying, hey, Jesus is my forever, my, my savior. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say, hey, you know what? That's worth my investment, in my opinion. And so we, we set aside a portion of our income and we just give it away to God. But then we have a, a smaller account we call our blessings account. And it's just money that we set aside every single year where we, when we walk through life and we see somebody in need, someone who's got car issues and can't pay for their car to be fixed, we step in and we help. 
a homeless guy who, who, who's in need. We buy him socks and help him get him on his feet. Just through life, as we experience life from year to year, we've set aside, we've budgeted for it to help people, to be generous, to live that way. You know, I, I think for some of us, we don't believe what God's word says because of the way we go about generosity. Some of us, we've tried generosity and we're like, well, that's not true. It's not more blessed to give than receive. I've tried it and it wasn't fun. And here's what happens. For a lot of us, we want to be generous. And we hear a message on generosity and we get all excited and we end up giving. And we end up giving more than we probably should. And it hurts our family. And we did it because it was the church. And I'm telling you today, God never called you to sacrifice so much that it caused your family to completely suffer. He calls you to, to be wise and to budget and to look at your family's scope of income and say, how can I live generously? And some of us, we don't believe the truths of Scripture because we get emotional and we give money that we shouldn't give away. And we're like, God, this isn't a blessing. This is a curse. God's like, why, why, why did you do that? But if we do it God's way, if we really plan for it and we're thankful for what we have and we cut costs and we become generous people, you will truly realize that it is way more blessed to give than receive. Fourth and final step is we spend or we hang, we hang out with a generous person. Spend time with someone who is generous. Ask them questions. If you don't know who, someone who's generous, check out your community group. If you're not plugged into community group, get plugged in. Your leader is probably most likely a generous person. Ask him questions. Why are you generous? Why do you give? Why, why do you sacrifice time? And just hang out with them. I got this modeled for me. I got a gracious gift from God. My dad is the most generous guy I know. And he modeled this for me. He lived it out. I mean, my dad would give the coat off his back to someone he didn't even know if they needed it. And parents know how you model this will instill in what your kids believe about generosity. And my dad set the example for me. So how do we become generous? We start by being thankful. We do small acts. We don't start in this huge manner. We start small. We, we budget for it, and then we hang out with generous people because when you get around generous people, it's contagious. So throughout this series, we told you that we were going to give you an opportunity to experience and feel what generosity feels like. And so at all of our locations right now, Volunteers are going to come down. You guys can go ahead and start coming down right now. And they're going to be handing out something like this. Okay, so I want every single person, whether you're a little kid, a teenager, a middle schooler, an adult, I want every single person to grab one of these. It's not what you think it is. I can promise you that. You will want to get one of these. It's not what you're thinking. Like, oh, here we go. I knew this was the moment they were going to ask me to be generous. I knew it. This is not like grab an envelope, pull out your wallet, and stuff it full of cash. In fact, I think we're going to do something in church that might actually catch you off guard. Because as you grab one of these, I don't want you to open it. But I'm going to tell you what's in it. In every single one of these envelopes is cash. What? Did he just say cash? Man, I'm glad I came to church today. If you're watching online, I'm sorry, but this is one of the perks of coming to one of our campuses. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. You might have time, depending on how far you live away, you can drive here and you can get your envelope. But we are not mailing it to you. I'm sorry. And so 
in this envelope is anywhere from a $5 bill to a $10 bill to a $20 bill. A few of you will get a $100 bill. You're like, yes, I love church. Church is awesome. And here's what we want you to do with this, is we want you to experience generosity. It's not for you. I don't like church anymore. (laughs) It's for you to take and to be generous with somebody else. So here's what we want you to do with this envelope, is we want you to take it. And first and foremost, I want you to pray. Pray. God, give me an opportunity to see somebody in need. God, give me an opportunity. God, use this money to not only impact me, but to somebody else. Start there. But then we want you to take the, this money, we want you to add to it. I would say double it. So if it's five, make it 10. If it's 10, make it 20. If it's 20, make it 40. If it's 100, make it 200. You're like, no, I don't want the 100. <laughs> Why me, God? You're like, yes, I got the 100. Yes, no, I got the 100. And here's the truth. If you can't add to it financially, add time to it. Because generosity is not all about money. I don't ever want you to think generosity has to do with money. And so if you can't financially double it or add to it, take your time and add it to it. And use that money to be generous to someone this week. I want you to do it this week, building up to Easter. Easter is the most generous gift ever given. And so we want you to experience generosity because our church budgets for this. I talked about budgeting for generosity. We budgeted this for this. You realize that every time you come to Northridge Church and you sit in one of our chairs in our auditoriums, we set aside $1, $1 to be generous with our community, to be generous with people in need because we want to break that perception that the church is all about money. We are not all about money here. That's why we gave you cash today. I mean, ever been to church that gave you cash on Sunday? (laughs) I love that little guy right there. It's about what God does in people's hearts. It's about the gospel. And guess what? The good news of the gospel has everything to do with God's generosity. And so this week, be generous with somebody. Buy them a cup of coffee and sit down and have a conversation. Tell them you're praying for them. Ask them what they need prayer for. And watch and learn that it is so much better to give than receive. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for being generous. We know we can be generous because you modeled it for us. You gave your one and only son. And that doesn't make sense to us as parents because there's nothing I'd rather not give up than my kids. But you gave it up. And you're not going to just give it up. You sacrificed it. And so God, lead us. Lead us to be generous. Help us. Maybe it's just something small this week. Maybe it's just making a list of all the things that we have to be thankful for. But bring us back to just remember that everything we have is from you. And so we can live in this posture with open hands saying, God, no matter what it is, it's yours. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.